Hi everyone, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar and I'm here today with Mark Sheeran. We are co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family. Stephen Slate is our other co-author. He could not be here with us today. Um, There are two ways you can work directly with Stephen, Mark, and myself, and that's in person at our private retreat, which is beautiful, and also uh, via video conference such as Skype or Zoom. And our books are available at thefreedommodel.org or on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and want to reach us, you can call us directly at 888-424-2626 or send us an email at info at thefreedommodel.org. That's info at thefreedommodel.org. You can also follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, We haven't done a podcast in a while. We've been very, very busy at our retreat. Um, which has been full over the summer, which is wonderful. And uh, we've had some wonderful students and guests come through our retreat. I've had great students on Skype. Um, We'd love to work with you. We'd love to talk with you directly. Um, There's been wonderful, uh, the people that received our book, um, it seems like it's been a couple years since it's been out and now a lot more people know about it and it's wonderful. Um, What we're gonna talk about today is many people get to the point in their heavy substance use where they really say and believe that they hate it, that they don't like it. And they'll come to the retreat and they'll say, I don't know why I keep using it. I really hate it. And and a lot of times the reason they get to that point is because they've been taught it at treatment. Yeah. And, you know, they're not allowed um, to, to like it. They're not allowed. And, and the key to making a change is to figure out what you like about it um, and if you can be happier without it. And if you don't get there, um, then making a change becomes impossible. And Mark's going Mark's gonna to explain what, what we mean by that. Well, I, I think that pretty much everybody that comes to the retreat or that I work with over the phone or whatever uh, will say, um, I don't like getting high or drunk anymore, yet I keep doing it. And I think that um, it's important to understand that that can't be true because you can't do something that you don't uh, don't want to do. You know, you're you're going to if you drink and drug, your actions belie your true thoughts, and your true thoughts are, at some level, at some deep level, you enjoy the act of of getting high or drunk. but here's what, what people do. They do what I call, or what the book calls, what Steve calls, um, the reverse analysis, the backwards mm. analysis. And that is, they look at the costs and the consequences of their use first, and after they've gone on a binge, and that becomes the logic they use to say they hate it. And, um, and then they ignore the front-end analysis, which is the reasoning behind why they got high to begin with. So if we ignore the front-end, which is actually what motivated the person to get high, and we just look at the costs and consequences, it is easy to say, my God, this person's insane. Why are they getting high? Because they just, you know, they just crashed the car, for God's sakes, and yet here they are at the bar again. Well, we don't say that uh, people are insane if they um, get in a race car and they crash and then they get in the race car again because we automatically pretty much understand that the race car driver likes to race cars. Right, <laughs> right. 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 
and or a boxer gets knocked out and it's part of his record it's just a, a known part of the record of a boxer that he might have some tkos that that were inflicted upon him and yet he's back in the ring again you know we we accept that but for whatever reason we don't accept that if a heroin user goes to the hospital for an overdose and on the way home he goes to the drug dealer's house literally from the hospital you know that somehow he's different than the race car driver he's he's not he or she um, they're not they're getting high they're looking at the benefits the reason the race car driver gets back in that driver's seat is because he wants to win a race so the the misery of that crash is easily forgotten in in the bright sunshine of maybe an impending win on the racetrack so so a, a heroin user a drinker um, they're looking at the benefits so the question really became when I was writing an article this morning what is it that clouds and makes this really murky why is it that they're afraid to say they like it and I deal with this every day at the retreat it's one of the first series of classes I have with a with a student or a guest at the retreat is they'll say I hate it I hate it I hate it and I say why do you why are you afraid to say you like it at some level well I don't like it so well, you do because you're getting high right yeah I mean well a lot of people be like oh but I'm just maintaining Right. Just maintaining because I don't want to go through withdrawal. Now, but but that may, and that may be the truth. But that means you like it better than withdrawal. Do you see? Right. So I think sometimes people get a little thrown by the word like because they're not supposed to like it, right? So what what really becomes the reason that people um, will jump to consequences is because they've been taught to think that way. They've been taught to think in the backwards analysis. They've been taught to focus on the fact that they crashed their car, they lost their kids to probation. They, you know. They've been taught to look at consequences to avert drinking and drugging. Although that doesn't work, of course, it doesn't work. Um, there's reasons for that that we'll discuss later. But um, they're taught to look at the consequences. And they're not taught to look at you got high because you were trying to get rid of, rid of withdrawal, right? Or right. avoid withdrawal. And that means you like drinking or drug taking more than withdrawal. So you do like it at some level. Now a lot of times, and that's a great point Michelle, a lot of times people's benefits list of why they get high becomes shorter and shorter as they get high for decades. Yeah. And and usually when they come to the retreat, there is a lot that they hate. Yes. But they're taught to seek out what they hate. They're taught to seek out the consequences and they're not taught to look at the benefits of why they're getting high. Now why is this important? Because if you're only looking at half the story of why you get drunk and high, if you're only looking at the consequences, you never get to the root cause of why you get drunk right. and high. There, Remember, the consequences, the cost, the trade-off come after the act of getting high. So, uh, you know, they don't come down the pike till later. So to ignore why you actually enjoy the buzz or maybe not enjoy it, but need it, feel the need it, the, the need for it. If you if you ignore all of that, then how are you going to figure out how to to stop? How are you going to figure out um, if stopping, abstaining, or moderating is just as beneficial as getting high? If you never look at the benefits of getting high to begin with, how can you make the comparison? How can you do a benefits to benefits analysis? How can you say, I really want to abstain? If you can't say I like getting high to begin with. Yeah. 
So, so one of the biggest problems with treatment is they are absolutely, totally terrified to ask one of their patients, I hate that word even because you're not sick, um, but they're afraid to ask one of their patients, why do you like it? And the reason the treatment centers are afraid to say that is because they're afraid they're, they're gonna you know, start craving and leave and they're gonna lose their money, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. That's why they take their cell phones and everything else away. Um, they have no belief that the person has any control over their actions whatsoever. So, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's I want, I'm going to talk directly to women. Um, if fear of unpleasantness and unpleasant consequences ruled the day, how many, how many of us would have more than one kid? Yeah. I mean, my, my first pregnancy was terrible. I was violently sick for about four months my delivery was terrible they did in a emergency c-section my son was colicky and miserable and when he was about a year and a half I was like we should have another kid I mean I would have to be totally insane to want to put myself through that again I use that example in the in the article I think it's I think it's absolutely appropriate and um it's almost become a joke culturally yeah and probably worldwide about childbirth and yeah why women are insane enough to give it a shot again <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't think I like it's not that I didn't think about it like when I wanted to get pregnant again I I did consider that I went through all of that of course of course you do but now I want you to tell the audience what happened next though but but I came to the conclusion that that I could be happier having another child. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Now, I want to talk about that on a very fundamental level um, because this is part of what we teach in the Freedom Model and the text and, and the program itself. Um, what motivates humanity is not pain and avoiding risk and avoiding pain, like most psychologists might tell you. What motivates human beings to act and choose uh, between their options is the benefits that they perceive in an option the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of happiness is a constant drive that dwells within the psyche of a human being since he was born it's innate it's unavoidable you can't stop it there's nothing you can do about it you are going to be driven to move throughout your life in some way that you perceive is beneficial that includes putting heroin in your arm, that includes having a baby, that includes getting in the race car, that includes getting in the boxing ring, that includes all the risks we take in life. And the reason for that motivation, that innate happiness-driven motivation is because there is so much risk in the physical world, there's so much suffering and pain in the human condition that if we were motivated by risk aver aversion, we would never live. We wouldn't That's move. Right. We wouldn't produce food. We wouldn't step out of our door. We wouldn't take any risk and we would die. We would not. Uh, look, look at the people of Ethiopia in the 80s when the, when the uh, famine hit the Ethiopia. Uh, they could not stop the Ethiopians from having babies. Right. Okay? Uh, it was the number one recreation was sex, right? Because it's the only form of recreation they had yet they had children that were literally dying at their feet they knew where baby came from and yet they procreate in the middle of a parched desert no food or water and rampant disease 
So even there, it is insane to have a child. And yet, what did they do? They had millions of them. So, so you're not going to stop the heroin user from using heroin uh, unless you can show him or her, or her anything, unless you show them uh, that there is greater perceived benefits in stopping, quitting, or reducing, adjusting, or moderating. If those options become more beneficial to that person, then they quickly and easily stop and or moderate uh, or adjust their use. Now, I want to clarify something because a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of guests that come to the retreat, a lot of my students on Skype, automatically go to, of course, my life will be better. My life will be better if I'm not drinking. And when they say that, they're still talking about consequence. They're still talking about, yeah, my husband won't be mad at me. I won't have problems at work. I won't get another DWI. They're still, which, which, yeah, you're you're kind of shifting it a little bit to the benefits. But the key is going to be to open your mind to the possibility that you can actually be happier in the decision to drink less, to not use heroin. You can be happier in the decision to stop, rather than I'll be happier later on because I've stopped. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You have to look at the benefits of drinking and drug taking. What are the actual benefits? People believe that they have uh, stress relief. They have right. um, uh, pain relief. They have relief from depression. These are all very good reasons if they really were true. Right. And the hardest part for our students is, are the chapters where we go through the fact that pharmacologically, and this is going to be hard for the listener too because this usually takes about three classes. Yeah, it does. Um, where pharmacologically, alcohol and or all drugs do not relieve stress. They do not uh, uh, help with depression. They do or not. Trauma. Yeah, they don't give us um, a license to misbehave. We give ourselves a license to misbehave when we drink or drug. We, uh, when we get the cue of a buzz, when you feel a physical sensation of a buzz, we have been taught as children that um, we become violent or we ha- we can- Or we become funnier. We become- Or relaxed. Or more sexual. Mm-hmm. Or that um, when we come home from work and we drink alcohol, that um, the stress of work melts out of our psyche. That's not true. Now, it it becomes true because people believe it, which is a function of the mind, not the function of alcohol. So the alcohol, the buzz, is a cue for the person to behave in a learned way and to let go of their stress. So they feel the buzz. That's the cue that culturally tells us, ah, I can let go. Or think about how many times you've been drunk and you've ruminated. Right? right. You can't, I was just thinking that. <laughs> if pharmacologically, if it reduced stress, mental stress, how can it also make us violent and behave poorly with our loved ones and cause stress? How can there's all these conflicting pharmacological supposed powers of drugs right. and alcohol that don't actually objectively exist? Um, now, ninety percent of the people hearing this are going to say that's bullshit. What yes. you're saying is absolutely nonsense. I have taken drugs. I know what it does for me. It takes away my problems, at least temporarily, Mark. It's a distraction. All of these things are true because you believe in them in the way that you individually believe in them. Now, yes. I pull it apart. We can't do it in a half-hour podcast. Um, for that, you have to take the course and go through all the research that refutes so many of your beliefs. But here's what I want to leave you with, this idea 
drugs and alcohol do not contain magical powers to change the content of your thoughts. That's magic. Now, magic is reality. Magic is beliefs. Beliefs yes. in a myth that aren't true. And when you believe in them enough, they become very true. There are many cultures where people drink heavily or even heavier per capita than do Himera, and yet they don't believe the things we believe in. They don't act accordingly. They don't misbehave. They don't believe that stress is taken away. They don't believe these things. And thusly, if you were to interview them, they'd laugh at you if you said that, that they do. So uh, it's based in the belief. And if you look worldwide at all the different cultures that drink and drug, and you were to do a study, which we've done a lot of studying of, um, you would find that uh, a very unique way of, of attributing magic powers to substances. Mm. So that's, that's, a, that's a whole series of classes. Um, and uh, it's pretty so. interesting. You'd be shocked at how many people that well, we'll be in class with them, and we'll be going through these chapters, and it's seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. And you know, when and they, they challenge it, they say, "No, it really does. It really does help me to relax and chill out and escape. It's my escape." Uh, with a lot of the women I work with, that mm -hmm. that's like the number one thing. And then within the same class. They'll talk about how they were drunk the other night and they got in a fight with their husband. That's so common. They and, and said, I said horrible things. And they just horrible. It was an awful night. And I'll say, so so that particular night alcohol didn't work, right? It, it wasn't it wasn't an escape. And they're like, well, it, well, it did for a little while. And I'm like, no, but you were still drunk when this whole thing happened because if it really did what you think it's doing for you, that whole fight thing, all of that. Not have happened. Well, I, I, that's a perfect example. And here's another. What if you're you're drinking, and you've let go of your problems? Notice how I phrase that. You, you let go <laughs> they, of your problems. They, they, they go out of your head. <laughs> yeah. So, but but you believe that alcohol pharmacologically has taken away your problems, and you're in a great mood, and you get in your car, and you're driving home, and a cop pulls up behind you. <laughs> <laughs> if it pharmacologically one. took stress away at that point, you wouldn't give a flying hoot if, the, <laughs> if there was if there was a DWI charge and you're sitting there. With, yeah, you would be like, "Hey, cop, how are you? Life it's all is good. It's all good. I'll take a breathalyzer, right? If it pharmacologically reduced stress or relieved stress or whatever you believe it does." then it would do it in all cases like an antibiotic will always kill bacteria. Yes. Okay? So we're talking about substances taking on a life based on your belief about them. And, and people then ask me, well, where, where did I learn this, Mark? Where you, I didn't learn this anywhere. And I say, did you ever watch a John Wayne movie? And they say, yeah. And I say, how many times did he go into the bar through the swinging saloon doors right before a gunfight? And they say, oh, yeah, I did see that. And you saw that when? When you were six, right? 1972 or whatever it might be, yeah. right? Yep. And, and they say, oh, yeah. And, and how many instances like that did you see? Now, in other cultures where they don't have John Wayne, they don't have that view of alcohol, they wouldn't see that. Therefore, their view of the magical powers of alcohol probably don't exist. But with us, it's constantly talked about. And now, with alcohol awareness, heroin awareness, we are creating addicts at an alarming rate because we're giving this power to a drug that it doesn't have. And it's on both sides because kids are learning from a young age 
that, that drugs and alcohol have the power to enslave people. But then they're getting the message when they watch television, any television, even now, that mommy likes to, to drink wine because it helps her relax after a long day. And, you know, daddy goes to the bar and has a drink. And and so, so alcohol is so... Um, romanticized in our culture that not only does it does it have the magical powers to do all these great things for people but it also can enslave them at the same time and it's so it's it's all things wonderful and all things evil and I mean what a what a horrible mixed message for people and it doesn't do either of those things because those things are a product of the mind of the recipient right so so you are your own worst enemy you are you are if your beliefs are that it will enslave you, it will, right? Yep, well, I mean, that's what happened for me. <laughs> me too, me too, until I, I broke out of it and looked at the research and said, oh my God, drugs can't pharmacologically enslave the human mind. Nope. Um, they can make you sick. They can make you physically dependent on the simple sugar called acetaldehyde. It can make you, you can be toxic. You can die from it. It can wreck organs. It can do all that physically but it can't change the content of your mental metaphysical thoughts because they are not bound by the body. The only thing that alcohol can affect is the human body. Now it can slow down the processor in the brain, of course, you know, you're not gonna, your your reflexes, we know that they're gonna go slowed, you know, they're gonna be slowed down, with cocaine it'll be sped up, you know, and, and whatever. We know that physically it does these things, but as a product, of changing your thoughts, the content of your thoughts, including your emotions, it cannot do that and does not do that. And there's so much research. So get the copy of the book, The Freedom Model, um, and you'll be able to read that research and see all the studies that refute these common ideas, these myths, uh, these sacred cows of our society that, that keep people trapped. You don't need recovery. What you need is the truth, and then you can move on. When you know the truth that drugs don't contain magical powers to enslave, uh, well, then there's no need for treatment, is there? No, but, but I just want to make sure everybody understands that that we do know that there are, people have really good reasons why they like it. Yeah. They have really yeah. good reasons why they like intoxication, why they like, uh, you know, drug use. Um, and, and I think, you know, when... When you come from that position, it, it becomes a lot easier um, to help people figure out how much they like it if they can, if, the, if they're actually getting the benefits they think they're getting, because that is how you make a preference change, is, is really evaluating. Um, and just really quickly, because we have a, just a few more minutes, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about stigma and this whole idea that the addiction disease is supposed to reduce stigma is complete and utter bullshit because the idea that there's a disease where that people get addiction or they get alcoholism and then they that's no there's that's about as stigmatizing as it gets yeah i mean if if somebody if you walk up and introduce yourself as an alcoholic to a stranger my guess is they're gonna be like oh all right dude you know i mean it's it's it, it, there's certain jobs where you can't get hired. I mean, there, the stigma exists around heavy substance use itself. The stigma exists around any kind of illicit drug use. Um, and so as long as, so so this idea, and, and the stigma is part of the reason that people won't admit they like it. Right. Um, and it keeps them from changing. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because the first time a family hears that their son is diseased instead of it being their choice, it's a it, it gets rid yeah. of stigma for the, about the first month, right? Yep. So for the first month, the parents are like, oh, there's a He's reason. Sick. He's sick. Mm-hmm. About day 31 for the rest of their lives, they're getting pretty damn tired of that stigma. Or yeah. they, 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 they get pretty damn tired of the disease being there because they know it's nonsense. They automatically, intuitively know it's bullshit. Yep. And they're saying, no, this, my son is, is, is doing this. He's choosing it. But also, let's say that they fall in line with the disease. It, it doesn't get rid of the pain that the family's going through. No. So on the front end, it's, it's, it's an explanation. And it seems logical. It doesn't seem fully on board. You know, it's, it seems a little bit weird. But, but they're willing to accept it. But in the end, there's no hope. No, it deepens the pain, if anything. And then the stigma gets deep. And then they're trying to control this person, which you can't control another person. If you want to learn about that, get the family book. I, it's, it's, it's absolutely insidious. It makes people feel helpless and hopeless, and, um, and it breaks families apart. Yeah, the long-term ramifications of believing you are powerless over drugs and alcohol, both on the family side and for the individual, is massive heartbreak, yeah. sadness, hopelessness, and a dependence upon recovery and or treatment, which has empty promises because they too believe that you never get well. Then it, then it starts to dive into replacement therapies where the medicine is just a moderate use of the drug that they've been using. Um, which leads back to heavy use with the drug they actually prefer because of one thing. Nobody is addressing the fact that the person likes to get high. Yeah. Everybody's afraid to ask that question, but I can tell you I am not afraid to ask it because I want to know what that person's reasons are, and there's nothing to be afraid of. Once yeah. you know the truth that they like it for these reasons, well then let's find out if those reasons have validity. Let's see if it's backed up by research that it, the drug is actually doing what you think it's doing. And then let's challenge those benefits. And then let's look and see, once we've challenged the benefits of that belief, if abstaining or moderating has better benefits. Right. And Can you be happier using less or abstaining? Yeah, or quitting. That, that's the question that we ask. That is all the time we have today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm sorry it's been so long since we had a new new podcast. Um, we will be doing regular recordings now. I'm very happy to announce. Um, and let me just remind you that if you or someone you know is seeking help, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Um, and you can find our books on uh, Amazon. You just search the Freedom Model for Addictions or the Freedom Model for the Family. Um, and from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Take care. And there is one last thing. Um, did you mention uh, Freedom Model Private Instruction? Oh, I don't think I did. Okay. So if you, if you don't want to come to our retreat or you can't get the time off of work but you still need the help, uh, to learn the freedom model or just move on with your life from an addiction. Um, you can learn that by uh, having private classes, one-on-one classes with Michelle, uh, Stephen, Slate also, or myself. And uh, that can the information for that is at, uh, what is it? 
freedom um the freedom model.org the freedom model.org thank you take care bye